Now, will you please turn with me to uh, Romans, the seventh chapter. Uh, you know, I, I um, have a tendency to say things too much and too often because um, I feel that very seriously every time. But this particular place in Scripture is um, almost like my testimony. It is what a, the very essence of, of what I believe our church and any church ought to be all about. Um, Paul has established by this point in the book of Romans some certainties that we can all sink our teeth into concerning the law. He says in, in Romans chapter 3, verses, uh, chapter 3 through 5, chapters 3 through 5, he says that the law cannot save you. He's made that a certainty. He wanted you to know that. It is all by faith. And then in chapter 6, he said that the law cannot sanctify you either. either. That is a part that you have to do in and of yourself. And then he said in chapter 7, as we saw last week from verses 1 to 6, the law cannot condemn you either. But today Paul wants to establish what the law can do. And that is in chapters, chapter 7, verses 7 through 13, that the law can convict a person of sin, as Paul allows us to see immediately. Read with me at verse 7, for instance. Actually, let's, let's see, well, let's read verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? He says again, as he said in, in chapter 6, verse 2, may it never be. On the contrary, he says, I would not have come to no sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting, coveting, coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. In the New Testament, by the time the, the Bible was written, the New Testament, the Jewish rabbis had collected some 613 commandments into their quote-unquote uh, law, scriptural law. It made all of their law and traditions a consuming way of life for those who were a conscientious religious person at that time. So much so that Peter had to make an, uh, a, a, a statement at the, the council at Jerusalem back in Acts chapter 15, the 10th verse. Peter described the legal system that they were all under as a yoke. He says, this is a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. In other words, all of the laws, all of the traditions that were poured upon the people were more than they could bear. They couldn't handle it all. It was a yoke that no, their fathers nor they could, could handle. And that led James to write in James chapter 2, verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles on one point, that person becomes guilty of it all. And so the law was all-consuming. Now the question that we ought to ask, and it is a good, valid one, is then why did God give the law that was impossible for you and me to keep? Why is the law such a burden upon all of us? And I think the answer is simple. Let's first read verses 7 through 13 of this great great place in scripture. I want you to take note that now all of a sudden Paul is going to become very personal. He's going to use the word I, me, myself over and over again. Paul is about to move into that area of scripture that we will study next week where he starts to say, why is it that I cannot do what I want to do? 
Next week we're going to see, he says, he says I, I see that nothing good dwells in me. The wishing is present, but the doing is not. I think all of us are going to be, relate, be able to relate to this. And Paul is now setting the stage of what the law does within the very soul of a person. Watch. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, in other words, the law, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So then, the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? Again, he says, may it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. Folks, what Paul is saying is what I have tried to say to us over and over and over again. It is because of understanding this that Paul under, all of a sudden understood that he was a man that was separated from God. He was dead he was a sinner, and he needed salvation. And it was through this, this being our tutor, that drew him to his Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what is so important about what we do. This is why I say to you, this place in Scripture is the very essence of my testimony of why I draw breath, why I want to live, to teach the Word of God, to be able to move you and me to that place where we become more and more and more conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, where we become really the people of God that God has called us to become. And so this is uh, it's a tremendous thank you for that. Amen. This is a tremendous, tremendous place within the Word of God. Understanding this is critical to your and my walk with our Savior. So Lord, please... Open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. I pray your blessings upon the people of this church. For those that are uh, just forgot that this is the morning that we need to set our clocks, I, I pray you'll, you'll, you'll bless them, wake them up, and allow them to come to church at the 11 o'clock hour. And give them, Father, uh, an opportunity to hear your word, to gather together and to encourage one another. I pray your blessings upon Doug and Kathy Renault. Father, their ministry is, is critical to this church. It is critical to the lives of those of us who want to serve you and know you and love you. Prayer, it's the very essence of what and who we are. So I pray your blessings upon them. May, may their vision of, of what to do and how to set it all up, may it be real real clear to them. Father, may you 
bless them in that ministry. As far as the building is concerned, Father, may your will be done, not ours. May you make it clear. If it's the place that we ought to be, then, Father, continue to opening the doors. And if it's not, then close it, Father. We do not want to move apart from you. So bless us, please, dear Lord. Bless us mightily. And now, Father, open up our eyes, as I said, and move me aside so that we might see what you have to say to us this morning concerning this great place in Scripture, this place that Paul, I'm sure, wrestled with, but saw his peace by knowing that he was, he was saved by a Savior who loved him so much. So bless us, Lord. Thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I asked the question, why did God give a law that was so impossible to keep? Well, I believe his purpose was simple to understand. What he wanted to do was to show us the depth of our sinfulness before a holy and righteous God. Therefore, he wanted to show us how desperately we needed a Savior. He has been preaching all along, teaching all along about faith. You can't work your way. You cannot have a righteousness of your own. He has already exclaimed to the people that none of them were righteous. No, not one. They were all sinners needing a Savior. And the Bible moves us in that direction. As it says in Galatians, this is our teacher, our tutor, to lead us to Jesus Christ. But listen to what Paul thought about himself pre-coming pre to Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, listen to his testimony. In verses 4 through 9, he says, although, chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 4, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, in other words, even in who I am, here's why. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, he says, I far more. Reason is, I was circumcised, he says, on the eighth day of the nation of Israel. He says, I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. As to a Hebrew, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I am a Pharisee. In other words, I know it backwards and forwards. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to the righteousness which is of the law, listen to what he says, I was found blameless. In other words, I followed this to a T. I did everything that I was supposed to do. I followed all the law, all the commandments, all the traditions. I am blameless as far as the law is concerned. But then he goes and says what I believe is, ought to be a testimony of every single one of us. But whatever things were gain to me, he says, those things I have counted loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. More than that, he says, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Is that your testimony? I mean, is that, is that a sense of who you are? He says in verse 9, And I might be found in Him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own. He is now swept away that being blameless. He has swept away any righteousness of His own that was derived from the law. He says, But I have come to that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness 
which comes from God on the basis of faith. How do you stand on that? What is your testimony? What is it that you desire of your life? Obviously, you people are very, very committed to the very Word of God. This is not the type of church that a normal person would come to that isn't committed to the Word of God. You come and you hear what God has to say to you. You learn from the Word of God. I, I, I love you people more than you'll ever know. More than you ever know. What Paul realized was that the law could not save him. It had to be faith. It had to be nothing but faith. Now Paul declared, if you remember, in chapter 7, verses 5 and 6, he says, while we were in the flesh, this is back in Romans, chapter 7, verses 5 and 6, while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. In other words, the law was just proving itself to bring us death, not life. But now, he says, we have been released from the law. We're no longer under the law. Now, Paul knew that the next question would most likely be, verse 7, well, then what shall we say? Is the law sin? In other words, was the law that was given by God through Moses, was it useless? Was it of any value to us? And Paul responds again, just as he did in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and in verse 15 of chapter 6, and here in chapter 7, verse 7, and in chapter 7, verse 13, by using the most strongest Greek words possible. M-E-G-E-N-O-I-T-O. May it never be. He goes on to say, on the contrary. In other words, just the opposite. I would not have come to known sin except through the law. In other words, since God has disclosed His divine standard of righteousness in this book, we are able to identify our failure and to meet His standard. We'd never know our sin if it wasn't for the law. Just like He wrote in chapter 3 and verse 20, For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The reason you and I study the Bible is so that the Bible will do its work in us. And it will help conform us into the image of Christ. My hero of heroes, one of my heroes on this earth, was a man by the name of Dr. J. Vernon McGee. And he said near the end of his life, and this man was brilliant, near the end of his life, he realized he needed a Savior more at the end of his life than he thought he did at the start of his life. He realized that more and more that he was more a sinner than he ever assumed. He got rid of all those big sins, but it was those little things that was just driving him in crazy as far as, as this sin that, that dwelt within him. This is the, the wrestling match that Paul is going to take us through next week. For the remainder of this chapter, Paul becomes so personal. He uses the first personal pronoun, I, me, myself, some 47 times. And he does this to show you and me the struggle that, that goes on within himself, trying now to live for God in his new nature, which, was, which is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. Because all the law would do for Paul is reveal to him his exceeding sinfulness, his old nature. So verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, 
critical to understand. Critical. And it's not that difficult. Paul writes the important statement to faith, telling us what sin does to our soul. Watch. Verse 8. Our sin, sin, takes its opportunity through the commandments. In other words, through this, yours and my sin is revealed. It produces in us coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, he says, sin is dead. In other words, that is why he could say, as a Pharisee, as a Hebrew of Hebrews, a, a, a born in the tribe of Benjamin, as far as the law is concerned, I'm blameless, he said. But once, once he came to understand the law and what it really meant about coming to know his Savior, he saw that he was dead. The law did not find him blameless. No, on the contrary. The law uttered that he was dead. He needed a Savior. He needed whatever it was to make him right with God. Wanting to know God was not Paul's problem. Wanting to know whatever God is to some most people is not the problem. The problem is how. How? Have you not? I, I've, I've talked to people over and over again. They said, you know, how do you know for sure you're saved? You, you, if you talk to anybody about salvation, you, eventually you'll hear that. Do you know for sure that you're saved? Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And I can say with all certainty, yes, I do. I know for sure that I am saved because my Savior has given me life through faith. But most people don't. They don't get that until they start to study the Word of God. And most people, although they say they know this, don't. It's hard. So the law only revealed to Paul his sinfulness. Sin taking its opportunity, as he says in verse 8, through the commandment, in other words, through the very law of God, produced in me coveting of every kind, stuff that I didn't even know I was doing. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive. I was blameless. You see, the, the law reveals that you and I are sinners. We've already say, seen in chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is what? Death. We know that. Most people don't. Most people think, you know, so I get angry at somebody. What's the big deal with anger? Well, we know that we shouldn't get anger. We, we know that the Bible says what, what we should and should not do. And we recognize, as Dr. McGee did in his older age, that all of a sudden he was doing sin that he thought was not even sinful. I find that very true in my life. I find the things that I used to do that I thought was just no problem, all of a sudden has become a problem. I have to deal with it. So Paul states this about the law. Look at verse 9. I was once alive, apart from the law, that is. Remember, he said, I was blameless in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6. But when the commandment came, in other words, when the law of God, when God's word came, sin all of a sudden became alive. And I all of a sudden died. He was spiritually dead. He was so apart from God and he didn't know it. He thought that persecuting the church was a good thing. And all of a sudden he found out now he was separated from the very God that he loved. 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he was separated. At one time, he says, I was alive. All of a sudden, I found out I'm anything but alive. I'm dead. For the first time, Paul realized that he was spiritually dead. That's a great place to be, folks. I know it doesn't sound like it right now, but it is a great place to find yourself so that you can become alive in Christ. Look at verse 10. This commandment, in other words, this law of God, which was to result in life, did just the opposite. It proved to result in death for me. It's like I say to you, if you read this and you start feeling good about yourself, stop, reread it. You've done a bad job of reading it. This is to convict you and me that we need a Savior, not to, com not to praise us for who we are. I mean, I've read this, I read places in Scripture before where it says no one's righteous, not even one. There is not a person who wants to do good. And I, I get people who don't know the Bible shake their heads and say, you know, that's, that's not true. There, uh, you don't know my Aunt Sophie. She's the nicest person that walks the face of this earth. You, you just hear that over and over again. And it's hard for people to understand that they, their righteousness will not make it right with them and God. They need to give it up. They need to. And so as he said in verse 10, this, this commandment, which, which he thought was proving life in him, did just the opposite. It proved to result in death. Because, he says in verse 11, sin took its opportunity through the commandments. In other words, through the law of God, this sin was deceiving Paul. And through it, through the law, it killed him. Not a bad place. Notice how personal Paul is making this statement. Paul is saying exactly what he said in chapter 3 and verse 20. For through the law... He came to have a knowledge of sin. Praise God. Because then he was able to deal with his sin. And he brought it to the Savior. You see, not only does the law identify sin, but the, the law also incites us to sin. How? Well, by functioning as an external stimulus to our own sin nature, our own lusts, our own our nature. You see, nothing is so attractive to a person than the forbidden. You think not? Let me just explain. Remember what Adam, what our Lord said to Adam. He says, "Look at all the trees in the garden here. You can freely eat. enjoy." <clears throat> You know that tree there in the middle of the garden, Adam? Don't eat from that tree. The day you eat from that tree, what? You're going to die. You're surely going to die. Now, God wasn't talking about physical death. He was talking about spiritual death, a separation. Because what that tree was, was a, an issue of sin. It was an issue of what he could and could not do. Well, when... In the, in the third chapter of the book of Genesis, when, when, when the serpent came to Eve, he says, um, can you eat from all the trees that are in here in the garden? She said, yep, every single one except for one in the middle of the garden. We cannot eat from it nor touch it. If we do, we will die. We will surely die. And he says, you surely shall not die. God knows in the day you eat from it, you're going to be like him. You're going to know the difference between good and evil. And she looked at that tree and she saw it was delightful to her eyes. And so what did they do? They ate. 
vain. Now, was that the fault of, of God's Word? No, no, that wasn't the fault of God's Word. All the Word of God did was call attention to our propitiation towards sin. It reveals the wickedness that results with, from within a corrupt heart. It's not that the law is evil. It's the fact that our nature is sinful. Prohibition incites us to sin. We want to possess. We want to do what we are not allowed to possess and do. It's a part of our nature. And if you don't think that's true, then you've never had a child. Because all you have to do is tell a child, or for that matter, an adult. Don't touch that. Don't do that. What's it going to happen? You know, they, they just kind of, you know, they want to touch it because they've been told not to. Deep within every single one of us, from birth on, exists a rebellious, sinful spirit. And we need to deal with it. We need to recognize that that's a part of who we are. Now, I, I, I kind of say this with fear somewhat, I'm trembling somewhat, but almost every problem that I have ever experienced within church ministry comes after someone in leadership tells another person, no, you can't do that. And then it kind of hits the fan. Who are you to tell me what I cannot, can do? You see, before and after giving of the Mosaic Law, those who became acceptable to God are those who trusted in His righteousness rather than their own. Listen to what Jesus Christ says in a parable in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. I'm going to read it real quickly. You can turn, of course, if you wish, but I'll probably be through with it by the time you get there. But Jesus mentions in this parable, He says He told them a parable. Some people have trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed other people with contempt. That was, that's been the battle since the very beginning of time, and our Lord addresses it. The battle with sin is mostly internal. It, it, the battle, a true battle of sin, comes from within our hearts and within our minds. Counseling, therapy, strong willpower often can modify a person's behavior. My goodness, my father, who smoked for almost all of his life, since he was a kid, my dad smoked. And he started to have trouble with a cough and blah, 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 and he was in his, let's say he was in his 70s. I don't remember exactly. And I went to dad and I said, Dad, please stop smoking. Now, I had never smoked. And I had no idea the 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 hole that the the tobacco could have on a person and i my dad saw me cry to him and say dad please stop smoking it's killing you and my dad said to me i won't ever smoke again but that was my father my dad never smoked again after that my dad's willpower was like incredible but his willpower didn't make him right with god it was hard for my dad to come to christ it was easy for him it appeared to stop smoking You see, a strong willpower, counseling therapy, can often modify a person's behavior, but only through the transferring power, transforming, excuse me, transforming power of the Holy Spirit can a sinful heart 
become pure and acceptable to our Lord. The central theme of the Sermon on the Mount is dealing with righteousness that comes from within one's heart. I want you to, to, we're near the end uh, of the message. I want you to to look with me at Matthew. Hold your place here. We will come back. But look at Matthew. I, I think this is so important to read. Because this is what Dr. J. Vernon McGee explained in his commentaries of what was such a wrestling match as he got older in the Lord and he started to understand the Bible more and more and more and realized the battle wasn't those external things, those things that he stopped, those those outward things that he stopped doing. That, That wasn't the wrestling match. The wrestling match was those things that were going on within his heart and his mind. Look at... uh, Chapter 6, for instance, of Matthew. Jesus said this concerning on the Sermon on the Mount, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Turn back to the fifth chapter of Matthew and look at verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to know what a, a, a overwhelming statement that had to be to the common people of the day? I mean, the righteousness of the self-righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven? At the end of the book of Matthew, the fifth, fifth chapter, the 48th verse, Jesus says, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How? How in the world can we do that? Well, we take on His righteousness. We take on the righteousness of Christ. When Christ died on the cross, He gave to you and me His righteousness. It is such a blessing to be in favor with God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, because He gives you all that you need to be right before God. But He shows us in the Sermon on the Mount, how difficult it is to live this righteous life because it's the problem from within that we have to deal with, not the problem from without. Look at, look at chapter 5. Look at verse 21, for instance. He says, You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the courts. But, now Jesus says, here's a different standard. I say to you, this is what I'm going to say to you, Everyone who is angry, not, not murders, but just is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the courts. Are you kidding me? I have to deal with that every day on the freeway, don't you? I have to hold back this innermost being that thinks I own that freeway. And I think I ought to be on it and everybody ought to be on the sides. Now, I don't really think that, but I mean, I go through this whole thing of inner anger sometimes this 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 inner trying to make myself right and i wrestle with that he says i ever whoever in verse 22 whoever says to his brother you good for nothing or you fool shall be guilty before a supreme court and whoever says you feel you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell 
You see what Dr. McGee is wrestling with? Verse 27, look, look. It says, you have heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, here's another standard, that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's a whole new standard that we have as believers in Jesus Christ to purify ourselves, to make ourselves the right person before God Almighty. It is a wise person that knows their limitations. It is a wise person that knows what they can and cannot do. And, 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 and this, is why, this is why for me my watch is so important. This is why it, it needs to beep not every hour but every minute. It needs to beep to remind me, John, how are you living before the Lord? And I have all sorts of gimmicks in my life that draw me back to Jesus Christ to help me become the man that I would love to become. But it is an ongoing wrestling match as you and I are going to see next week through the life of Paul. Even though I want to do good, I don't always do it. Listen, if a person does not see themselves as a lost, helpless sinner within their heart of hearts, they will never see their desperate need for a Savior. And the person who is not willing to be cleansed of their sin through faith in Jesus Christ has no other access to a Savior who wants to give them salvation. So if you're here this morning and you've not given your heart to Christ, the Bible says that is the only way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody, nobody, that's, you don't have to know Greek to understand that. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. He didn't stutter. And so Paul says in verse 11, let's close this wonderful chapter, I mean wonderful uh, place in Scripture up. Paul says in verse 11, strong words, we're in Romans chapter 7 and verse 11. He says, For sin took its opportunity through the commandments and it deceived me. Deceit is one of Satan's most subtle and disastrous evils. A person is deceived into thinking they're all right with God. We have a tendency to want to compare ourselves with others. I I'm not Charles Manson. I guess that's getting pretty old now. Most people don't even know who he is. I don't know who else to use but, you know, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And it's not a comparison thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a comparison before God. You and I need to be right before Him. And He has given us a standard. But a person becomes deceived, thinking that they're acceptable to God. They're, by their merit, by their own good works, there's no need for salvation. There's no reason to trust in Christ because I'm, I'm as good as that person. I, I, I never, ever forget in my sister's living room when she told me I don't ever want you to talk about God again ever to me again because see she knew me like a book boy she knew me better than anyone else and when I came to the house saying you need a savior you need to be saved I'm saved she thought you're saved well if you're saved everybody's saved she knew me well the law deceives it, it is deceptful it, it will and Paul said that it deceived him and through the law it, it, it made me realize that I was dead. It killed me. Therefore he exclaims in verses 12 and 13 which is like a hallelujah. So then the law is holy. 
The commandments are holy, they're righteous, they're good. You see, he says in verse 13, they did that which is good, the law did. It became a cause of death for me. And then he says, may it never be. Rather, it wasn't the law, it was sin. In order that it might be shown to be sin by the effecting of my death, that through that which is good, meaning the law, sin would become utterly sinful or known or realized. How much more clearly can Paul say it? Grace is good. Law is, is not bad. The law is good. Sin is what is wrong. Which gives you and me a pure and very true reason to study the Word of God more. That's why you ought to be thankful for this church, truly. I, I'm, I don't say that braggadociously. I just say that we do not compromise the Word of God. We don't duck or hide. We, we go through it line upon line, word upon word. We, we try to study the Bible so as to understand what God wants from us out of our lives. Now this, I, I would like for you to hold your place here, and, and we're going to close now. Turn to the middle of the, the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, the 119th chapter. It's Right, right smack almost in the middle of your Bible. I want you to listen to what the psalmist writes. And I would encourage you to, when you have some time, and I mean just time, I, I, there's, no, there's no rush, there, there's nothing on your agenda. You don't have to do anything that, that afternoon or that evening, and you just want to look at the Word of God. I would encourage you to read through Psalms 119. It's a long long psalm and and i would encourage you to read it in such a fashion that you do, you're in no hurry if you get to one place that just speaks to you let it speak to you stop and and meditate upon whatever it is that is speaking to you at that particular moment this particular psalm speaks about the wonders of the word of god and the law that you and i have talked about this morning listen to what it says psalms 119 verse 1 how blessed are those whose way is blameless. Now you might not get any further than that. You might just want to ask yourself, what is it to be blameless? Paul said he was blameless. Those who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. You might ask yourself a question, do you? Are you seeking Him with all your heart? What does that even mean? How can you be that kind of person to seek after God with all of your heart? That'll make you blessed. Verse 3, They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in His ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. Now, I read the first eight verses to get to verses 9, 10, and 11. You can read the rest on your own, but let me read to you verses 9, 10, 11. They're miraculous. They're marvelous verses within the Scripture. The question is, how can a young person keep their way pure? I'll tell you how. 
by keeping it according to the Word of God. With all of my heart I have sought after you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your Word I have treasured in my heart so that I might not sin against you. One of the most precious things you can do with your life is to, is to open up the day or to make it the middle of the day or the end of the day. It doesn't matter when, but open up your Bible and read from the Word of God. I don't mean to brag, but the most precious thing in the world is, is my wife, to me. She is another one of those things that beep. Every morning I get up, I know exactly where she's sitting. I know exactly what she's doing every morning I get up, except for Wednesday. She's not up when I leave Wednesday morning for men's breakfast. But every other morning when I get up, she's sitting on the couch, same place, reading her Bible. She's treasured God's Word within her heart of hearts. And she helps to force me into reading the Bible because I don't want her to leave me in the dust I want to be a man that, that she's proud of. I want to be a man that understands the Bible. And it appears that God gave me someone that is like a, a racehorse that I, I have to run like crazy, just try to keep up. How can a young man, how can a young person keep their way pure, keeping it according to the Word of God? It's not hard. With all of my heart, I've sought after you, that's where the problem is. What's more important to you than your walk with Christ? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Yesterday, uh, yesterday was Saturday, and I have a routine I usually do um, when I study the Bible for the weekend messages. I let nothing interfere with it. I had three grandsons playing baseball yesterday. 8.30, 10, and 1. I didn't go to one game. I love my grandkids. I didn't go to one game because my routine is I wake up in the morning and I, I go over all my notes, I rearrange them, I do whatever needs to be done, and then I take a nap so that I'm ready to go when I preach in the evening. Because if I don't, I've found out over time, if I don't rest Saturday afternoon, I'm going to be exhausted Sunday. So I get my rest. And I didn't go to the games. When I tell you I love you, I mean that from the very depth of my soul. What I am saying is I love to teach you the Word of God. And nothing, nothing will interfere with that. Not even my family in that case. Now, there's other games this week. I'm not going to miss all the games. I got a game tomorrow I get to go to, and then I got a game Wednesday and Thursday. It's all in my notebook, in my little brain, and back. I'm not trying to be a hero. I'm just saying to you, in my heart of hearts, I made a decision. Do I love the Lord with all my heart? Yeah, I do. I really do. Do I fall short? <sighs> Boy, I do. Boy, I really do. But I'm trying. I want to encourage you to do the same. Figure out what it is in your life 
that might separate you from walking with Christ with all of your heart. And if possible, move those things aside and make your walk with Christ the most important thing that you ever do. The beauty of what we have today as believers is this is not a dress rehearsal. This is the real thing. What we are doing right now is real before the Lord. Becoming the men and the women of God that God has created us to be. And there's no age limit to it. Young or old, we're to walk with Him with all of our heart. How can we keep our ways pure? Keep it according to His Word. Treasure His Word in your heart so that you might not sin against Him. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for this time. It's a great day. A wonderful privilege, Father. I pray your blessings upon uh, Doug and Kathy. Father, uh, their ministry of prayer is crucial, critical to our church. We'll have our first meeting in about 10 minutes as we'll meet and pray for this church, this whatever it is that we need to pray for, people's health, loved ones, whatever. Bless them. Remind us to go and sign up on the guest service table for our being a part of the prayer services on Easter. And hopefully that will grow to almost we meet every week. <sighs> Bless the building that we are about to purchase if that's what you want us to have, Father. If it's not, please stop it. Please. Don't let us do something that is against your will. And Lord, bless us from all evil. Keep us, I should say, from all evil. Let us walk with you in integrity and with all of our hearts. Let us be sold out to you. I think eternally, if we do this, if we choose to do this, I think eternally we're going to be very, very happy we did. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you more than I can ever put into words. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much.